1: Yep, this all new service hub from HubSpot brings customer service and support together in one simple but powerful platform so you can deliver the best experience possible. And of course, it's powered by AI, not Al, AI, meaning your team can automate those tedious tickets from people who've clearly not read your frequently asked questions. Pain in the backside, aren't they? Oh, and by the way, organisations using HubSpot Service Hub are resolving tickets 13 times faster, helping them to close 42% more tickets per day. That means increasing retention by more than 80%. Thank you, people at HubSpot who who did the maths on that one, because I wouldn't be able to.
0: I love a bit of data. Did you also know, Al, that it consolidates your entire internal knowledge base into one place? So no matter who is working on support, they'll have the answers at their fingertips.
1: I did know that because I wrote that for you
0: you well there you have it stand out from the crowd and migrate to hubspot service hub today
1: visit hubspot.com service and learn how this all-new solution can help you deliver for your customers um and she
2: uh died in the bath slipped under the water in a in a, in a drink and drug haze mm.
0: Hello and welcome to the Truth, Lies and Workplace Culture podcast, brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. My name is Leanne, I'm a business psychologist.
1: My name is Al, I'm a business owner.
0: We are here to help you simplify the signs of people and create amazing workplace cultures.
1: Yeah, hello again, episode 58, I think. Yeah, episode 58 um this one's going to be a good one. It's a beefy one. We probably have around about 45 minutes of clips to play you. So, we're not we're going to do a very reduced news roundup, aren't we, Lee?
0: I didn't think we were doing one at all. I haven't <laughs> prepared what? Is it reduced?
1: <laughs> Don't worry. There's no quizzes or anything. All we want to do is basically just tell people that we're going to be at the uh, Mad World event on the 13th of October, does that sound right?
0: Nope, it's October the 12th. (laughs) (laughs) Don't come on the 13th, we won't be there. It's October 12th, 2023 at 1111111 at 133 Houndsditch. which if you're not from the UK or indeed London might sound a bit strange, but it is a very fancy conference centre apparently. Um, But yeah, it is a mad world, the sixth summit. We are the official podcast partner of the event. There is loads of cool speakers there, people from all sorts of corporate organisations, small businesses, providers, is government it really is going to be an incredible event for anybody who cares about workplace well-being mental health and culture and wants to see a shift in how we work uh yeah it's going to be ace tickets are still available it's very reasonable price for the huge amount of content that they are going to pack in in that one day event so yeah do come down go to madworldsummit.com um, and you can book your tickets there
1: and as Leanne said, the added bonuses that we'll be there. You'll be, have a greet and meet for us, or a meet and greet. That's probably the way or it's Or indeed
0: saved. a greet and meet.
1: Or, or you can do it whichever order you want to do. We,
0: we're not for
1: <laughs> <sake>. <laughs> Technically, you do greet and meet. You say hello, and then you meet them, don't you? So anyway, either way, so you'll see us, and that will be zero pro. We won't charge you any money for that. It's going to be free to come and say hello to us. If you want a photo, it's 100 quid a pop, but, <laughs> you know. So that's the Mad World Summit. Link in the show notes. If you'd like anything to do with mental health, well being, corporate well being, you have to be there. We're coming over from Bosnia, flying out there to uh, to be there. So if you live in the UK, you've got no excuse. Get yourselves down there. Link in the show notes. We'll see you there. Oh, by the way, just get on your LinkedIn and tell us if you are coming because we'd love to uh, arrange to see you. Okay, so this episode is all about the health gap. Now, you might be wondering what on earth has the health gap got to do with me as a business owner? turns out quite a lot. We won't go into it right now because we separate this into sort of five major sections. So I'll quickly go through those with you there. So there's three sort of impacts of this health gap. The first one is around productivity. What's it doing if someone doesn't isn't 100%? They're clearly not going to give you 100%. The second one is around retention and recruitment. If people are If people aren't coming in to looking for jobs, then it's more difficult to find the right people. And if people are leaving because of due due to ill health, then it's hard to retain them. And the final one is the role of leadership. What should leaders actually be doing? We're going to go into that in a second. We'll tell you the five questions we've asked our panel. But we've got a panel of four incredible people. Leanne, do you want to start with guest number one?
0: Yes, we have some incredible Guest today. Our first panel member is Lord James Bethel. Yes, my US friends, you heard me correctly. We have a Lord on the podcast this week. Lord Bethel is a huge advocate for a healthier and happier workforce. Having held numerous ministerial posts, such as a minister of life sciences and building and selling several businesses, he's definitely on the side of business owners.
1: Just in case you didn't know, and Leanne, I don't think Leanne knows this, and I wanted to surprise her with it. Um, Lord Bethel actually also was one of the founding uh, founding people behind this brand and also was the Managing Director of Ministry of Sound. Yes, the nightclubs. Yes, all the DVDs, <laughs> uh, all the CDs. Yes, that guy. He was one of the founding team and he was the Managing Director for a while there. Isn't that cool? So is
0: Lord Bethel a bit of a raver? Is that what we're saying?
1: I think so. I think he's MC Lord Bethel, I think, because <laughs> <is> his full <laughs> name. Uh, <laughs> really cool guy. Yep. So let's go and meet Lord Bethel.
2: Yep. My name's uh james bethel i'm a member of the house of lords Uh, and i was uh, minister for life sciences in the department for health and social care and i remain a, a champion for innovation and for well really making britain a healthier place
1: our second guest is Chantelle Bell, who's one of the founding partners of Sirona Health. It's a platform that provides gender-inclusive benefits. Now, we're going to go through that in a second, what that actually means. Chantelle did a master's at Cambridge and is named as one of the top 50 women in a European list. Let's go meet Chantelle.
3: My name is Chantal Bell. I'm one of the co-founders of Sirona Health. Sirona Health is a digital healthcare platform supporting people going through various life transitions, as we call it. So... Supporting people going through different phases of healthcare conditions.
0: Our next guest, we have a Lord. It is only fair that we have a dame, Dame Carol Black. She is a physician, a government advisor, and one was president of the Royal College of Physicians for four years. She is also a world expert in sclerodoma.
4: I think I'm very well known for health, work, and well-being because um I've written three reports for government and It has changed, I think, the way people think about health and well-being in the workplace.
1: And last but certainly not least, Kathy Abernathy, um, who is a nurse who specialises in menopause. She worked for the NHS for 25 years and then became the founding clinician at Pepe Health, which is an employee wellness platform. Let's go meet Kathy.
5: Uh, I'm Cathy Abernethy, I'm the Chief Nursing Officer at Pepi, Pepe Health. We're a healthcare app um, and we offer employers an innovative way of offering support to their people through a digital app with real human experts like
0: me. So now we've met our panel, let's ask them some tough questions. There are five things that we will be quizzing our guests on this week. Number one, what is the gender health gap and why does it matter? Two, why isn't the NHS the solution? Three, how does this affect business and employees? Four, what can owners and leaders do? And five, how can we create a healthier future for everyone? It is a jam-packed episode. Let's get started. So first up, what is the health gap and why does it matter?
1: Yeah, so most people talk about the health gap in terms of economic terms. So uh, poverty, wealth, that's the health gap. I know we are talking specifically the UK here because I know that in America, the health system is very different. Also UK people, British people can't really understand how it works across there. You have to pay for things, but over here it is free. But it still means there is this gap. So the economic health gap is certainly a problem, as Lord Bethel explains. Some,
2: you know, if you are poverty itself lack of access to health support um uh the pressures of life uh and and, and bad environments living in, in an environment where there's dirty air or lack of access to public spaces you know, these are all the cycles of tough lives of, of poverty and of of uh, and of um living in environments that don't support healthy living so that's the That's the macro environment in the UK at the moment. It's really hitting us hard and it's cost the NHS a lot. It's costing our workforce a lot. It means our welfare bills as a nation are really high.
1: Despite her current status, Dame Carol Black actually had a really, really modest upbringing. And so she can totally relate to the connection between poverty and poor health.
4: You need health to be an asset. You need a healthy population. And I think you've got to start pretty early in life. Child poverty in our country is a huge problem, and the government puts the same amount of resource into a wealthy child as a poor
1: child. As an advisor to the government, she definitely feels that the government could be doing more to help those who come from lower socioeconomic backgrounds.
4: Well, I think you would think, possibly, you need to compensate for poverty in childhood because children have no choice, do they? And you don't want children growing up in poverty to affects their physical health, their mental health, their educational potential, their potential in life. I don't like to
2: see that.
0: But it's not just economics that leads to a health gap. There's also a very clear gender health gap, as Lord Bethel explains.
2: So overall, you know, since the beginning of history, we have always overlooked uh, women's health. So we... This takes several forms. We, ne- we don't listen to women um, very well, and they say they have a problem. We tend to brush it off. And this is particularly heard in mental health, where we tend to put things down to, well, we just have a institutionally patronizing approach and, and don't listen to it. And the, and the current focus on uh, both menstruation and menopause would be uh, really good examples of that we don't put women in t- we don't research women's problems so really, the classic example of that is a heart attack so the way in which a heart attack presents itself in a man and or a woman is really different for a man it, it is typically um a sort of uh, a quite a violent sort of um heart based problem uh, and for a woman it will be a feeling of tiredness so in other words the basic diagnosis of something as common and big as a heart attack we just take a man centric approach and therefore a lot of women um, get overlooked autism is another good example the statistics seem to suggest that autism is as common in women as it is in men we just don't diagnose it because it takes a, a different form
0: there are conditions that a lot of men might not know about and often women won't be willing to talk about Let's hear from Chantal
3: So I think everyone should know about these conditions. You know, endometriosis, um, just for those of you who don't know, is a condition where the lining of the uterus uh, grows in other parts of the body. Lining similar to the lining of the uterus, I should say. And um, yeah, it affects one in 10 uh, women or, or, or people with um, uteruses and it's extremely painful i think a few years ago google listed it as one of the top 10 most painful conditions to have so you know one in ten women are going through this in the workplace and um with no support quite frankly it takes eight to nine years to diagnose and there really is no treatment or no cure for this condition so it's more kind of around surgery and management of removing the affected parts and then managing the condition um, so, from a, a male's perspective, you know, just at least understanding what the kind of symptoms are of these conditions and how you can support your your fellow colleagues in the workplace, I think it's super important.
0: But when it comes to mental health, men are often guilty of doing the same.
3: Women quite naturally uh, access as healthcare, ask questions, and I'm quite you know open to that. But men typically kind of hide a lot of these issues internally. And unfortunately, you see kind of higher suicide rate rates, etc., um, when it comes to kind of men and mental health. So, what we've done, we spent a lot of time actually working on our men's health proposition. We worked with someone who was a GP in the Royal Navy, so a male-heavy organisation, to help shape the men's health offering. As we realise that you know men access healthcare quite differently, and we've provided support in a way in which men can easily access um, these these things on the app. So, for example, we have a discrete kind of health coach, as we say, or health physicians. So instead of having to go to a doctor or see someone in person on video, for example, um, you can just ask a discrete question on the, on the health chat and they will answer it for you and help you with your, your treatment pathway.
1: So it seems like is the solution that everyone gets the same access to and levels of health care? The real issue is something which Cathy calls equity versus equality.
5: Yes, yeah, so it's about treating everybody fairly, but not necessarily the same. So we believe that um, people of all genders deserve specific individualised health care. And that's what we offer. We offer specialised men's health, specialised women's health, baby care support, fertility support, menopause support. And that will differ according to each individual person. So that's equity rather than just offering everybody the same and saying just take the bits of it that suit you.
1: I've heard this term before, you've used it before, still don't think I fully understand what equity versus equality means. Can you explain it for us?
0: I saw a really good explanation on LinkedIn, actually, the difference between equality and equity. Let's imagine that everybody wanted a bicycle, but you have men, you have women, you have children, you have people with disabilities. They're going to require a different size of bike. If we were focusing on equality, you'd give everybody the same bike, regardless of their specific circumstances or needs equity would be about adjusting the bicycle to meet the individual needs of each person. That makes sense?
1: That makes perfect sense.
0: Brilliant. So Lord Bethel points out that a lot of drugs are tested for the male and not the female body. And this caused a huge problem during the COVID vaccine rollout.
2: Uh, And then lastly, in terms of researching drugs, drugs that help men are very heavily researched and drugs that help women are often overlooked and drugs that help both, uh, they tend to be researched for men and not and not for women and i was very frustrated in the pandemic that yet again we didn't do clinical trials for pregnant women why didn't we do it because of a anxiety that if there was a problem with the clinical trial uh it would have you know massive consequences because who the hell wants to try out a drug on a pregnant woman and le- and that to lead to some kind of problem but that like lack of courage and lack of thoughtfulness does mean that a whole bunch of women who have children, can't then take uh, the vaccine um, in the knowledge that it's been uh, passed for its its safety tests.
0: You may think that we're lucky in the UK, and to a large extent we are, we do have free healthcare through the NHS and National Health Service, but it's not quite that simple. So why is the NHS not able to fix this problem?
1: So this brings on to the second part, which is why isn't the NHS the solution? The problem with the NHS, it was founded in 1948. So just after World War II, and it was designed for this population who'd been through two world wars in like 20 years. It wasn't designed originally for today's complex problems, which might be physical, they might be mental, they might be emotional. Let's hear from Lord Bethel. Uh,
2: We have a a wonderful asset a, a massive national um, achievement in the nhs uh, and the principle that the nhs uh, will pick you up and put you back on your feet when you when you've um, taken a hit and that that access to the nhs creates a, a secondary impression that somehow the nhs will will fix all the problems of the of the country when it comes to physical and mental health but i think there's not only so much the nhs on itself on its own can do and it does come back to um, others, in, individuals, employers, communities, um, civic groups, to try to um, make a contribution to health. Um, the determinants of health are much wider and broader than than the government or or the, or the NHS can look after. In fact, um, the NHS is a sickness service. Really, it, it looks after you when you are when you are ill, uh, and. It, should be able to give you access to the tools like vaccines and diagnostics that that help you on your health journey. But the determinants of good health are much wider than that.
0: Chantel's platform, Sorona Health, is built on providing this kind of service that the NHS can't realistically fulfil. It's not just a strategy that requires updating. Some of the methods are pretty archaic too.
3: We love it. We love it in NHS. You know, it's great at what it does, but equally, you know, it's a big old organisation with some archaic ways of working. I think the one thing I would say is kind of ensuring that data is um, accessible and can be kind of transferred back and forth. You know, NHS, a lot of NHS trusts will use papers, for example, to kind of store their notes. So... Just updating that and moving more into the digital world, I think would help um, make the patient experience a lot better. But I think we're a little bit of a long way away from that. <laughs> so, yeah, not too sure how quickly that would happen, but uh, fingers crossed soon.
0: Cathy <laughs> from Peppy Health agrees with Lord Bethel. But as you remember, she spent 25 years in the NHS, so she has an inside view.
5: I'm still a strong advocate for the NHS, even though I don't work in it anymore. And I still pay my dues to the NHS. I sit on the Menopause Guideline Group and I work with NHS England to try and improve care in menopause within the NHS. But I think what's happened is that the NHS is under immense pressure and the staff are therefore under an immense pressure. They're doing an almost impossible job. Now, could I fix the NHS? I would not like to be the person to have to do that. But does it need fixing? Yes. At its best, it's amazing.
0: That's why apps such as Pepi are so important to complement, not replace, the NHS.
5: At the end of the day, that we're people who want to be treated like people. So we want to treat people the way that we would be treated. And we've seen that, that this is a real gap. And the areas at Pepi are areas which the NHS don't support very well at the moment due to the pressures that we've been talking about. So Pepe is stepping in not to replace the NHS, but to fill that gap. Yeah, so a good example is endometriosis, where um, if a person has endometriosis, it takes a very long time to get a diagnosis. If somebody joins our women's health service, our specialized women's health service, they have access to a, an, an experienced and qualified endometriosis nurse who can take them through the pathway of diagnosis, telling them the options, so that when they do go to their healthcare practitioner, they're really well equipped for that consultation and it can save time enormously and they know their options. Um, and Pepe can even do testing for some of the conditions as well.
1: Chantelle, the founder of Sirona Health, agrees. Um, we've
3: had a few patients kind of reach out to us saying, oh, you know, I'm struggling to get an appointment on the NHS, for example, or it's just taking so long, I'm in so much pain. Um, so we've helped connect them with our, some of our physicians on the platform. They've gone on to actually receive um, a diagnosis uh, much quicker than they would have done on, on the NHS um, had they waited so um, the good thing about what we do is that we can refer back into the NHS, but also help people go private if that's something they would um, like to do.
1: So it seems clear that there's no going to gonna be no quick solution from the NHS to this health gap. It's not going to happen overnight. And more and more business owners and leaders are seeing the impacts of this poor mental and physical health in the workplace. So we're going to go on to section three, which is all about how does this health gap affect businesses and leaders? The first one is a problem of retention. Your key people are leaving work early, as Dame Carroll explains.
4: After COVID, you'd have seen a lot in the paper of people leaving the workplace. They were mainly people who were 50 plus, our experienced workers, who we need in the workplace. They were leaving. And probably the most important reason is long-term ill health. So chronic conditions, you know, their diabetes has got worse. Their arthritis has got worse. They perhaps need a knee replacement. But it means they can't be in the workplace. And that has caused an enormous problem. Everywhere you look, there are vacancies. People are looking for skilled people because so many people left the workplace that there are vacancies, uh, skills are greatly needed. So I think you have to look at the balance. But the biggest worry for me, it exposes that we are an unhealthy population.
0: Lord Bethel is the Commissioner for Health and Prosperity. And one of the biggest problems he sees is that although we are living longer, we are able to work less.
2: In other words, although the, the total amount of time people spend on the earth is getting longer, the amount of time the proportion of that time that they spend actually healthy uh, is, is reducing in many demographic groups. And that, that's just a heartbreaking and uh, economically um, depressing fact. And in the time that they are at work, uh, their productivity is not increasing in the way that it has historically climbed. And there are a number of reasons for that. Some of them are uh, uh, monetary for instance inflation some of them are about investing in infrastructure and training but one of them is about the health of the nation the physical and mental health of the nation how, how much time people can spend working the state they're in when they are uh, at work uh, and also uh, their resilience to adversity uh, which is an inevitable part of life it's not a adversity isn't a bad thing but when people can't cope Uh, and their work suffers, then then that's not just bad for them personally and for their families. It becomes in aggregate a real problem for uh, the nation's economy.
0: The stats are almost unbelievable. In the UK, nearly a million people have left the workforce in the last three years, and we don't really know what they've left to do.
2: Nearly a million people have left the workforce. For what? We don't quite know why they they have left and what they are now doing. what we do know is that in the mix are mental health pressures, physical pressures, and for some, a, just a desire to leave the workplace and to spend more time smelling, smelling the flowers and hanging out with their families. And for some of those people, hanging out with the families is not, not a relaxed thing, it's, it's caring for someone who is already uh, quite poorly. What we also know is that the people who leave the workforce for one reason or another, Quite often, then go on to uh, develop quite serious chronic disease and then become uh, uh, disabled. So people aren't leaving the workforce in in order to, because they're disabled. They leave the workforce and then become disabled.
1: So I had to ask Lord Bethel, why do we think they're leaving?
2: For some people, I think there's just an enormous amount of frustration that their skills haven't developed, their salaries have gone sideways, and for them the. The benefits when when they look at the effort benefit analysis of, <laughs> of working they're just not feeling uh, very inspired by it for some people they have found the workforce the workplace really quite a traumatic um space to be in and I, I was very moved listening to the testimony of nurses um who um have found that the management of of their work environment is just so chaotic that they feel that uh, they are put under undue pressure that the hierarchical and sometimes racist and sometimes sexist environment within the nhs is something that have has led them to feel very bruised and and like they they want to be somewhere else um so there is a there there is in some workplaces a toxic element that's that's literally pushing uh people away and then lastly there there, there seems to be a problem with the support we're giving people just to conduct the everyday realities of life, to, to be able to get their kids to school on time, to have the childcare, to, uh, support, their, to support their families, to have reasonable amounts of time off for maternity uh, and, and paternity leave, um, to be able to um, learn new skills and have the financial and practical support to um, progress their careers uh, in the right direction. And to live in and to work in an environment where they feel uh, safe and supported.
1: So it would seem the solution would be that we just recruit younger, fitter people to replace those that are leaving. Dame Carol Black seems to think it's not quite as simple as that.
4: We haven't got people for jobs because, for many, many years, the sad truth, often not talked about, is our young people, our sixteen to twenty-four year olds, have been having worse health, mainly mental health, and they have been increasingly not going into the workplace. So the young weren't in the workplace, but the older worker was holding it up, if you like. The the, the older worker was the pillar that was supporting the economy. COVID came, and after COVID, that 50-plus workforce has actually diminished hugely.
0: And even if we do manage to hold on to our key employees, there's a good chance that a large percentage of them are disengaged due to health issues. Menopause and perimenopause affect women between 40 and 55. So even if they don't leave, it's reasonable to assume that productivity is affected.
5: The menopause, um, some people might not even know what the menopause is, but it's when your periods stop. If it was just that, it would be fine. But it's because the menopause is associated with what we call the perimenopause, and that's the symptoms. And it's the symptoms that affect people at work. Things like flushes and sweats, brain fog, memory issues. If someone's going through the menopause, they will know those symptoms. And if you're experiencing those symptoms at home, then you take them to work with you. So they have a real impact. And when you consider that women of a menopausal age, so women around 50, with the fastest growing demographic in the workplace.
1: So we're painting a bit of a grim picture here, and it's one that is likely going to be replicated across the world. So as business owners, as business leaders, is there something we can actually do about it? So we asked our panel, what can owners and leaders actually do?
0: Dame Carroll knows exactly where the blame lies.
4: So let me say straight up front, Zumba classes, water bottles, and fresh fruit um, and mindfulness training is nice, nice to have, but it, it, it is plastering over the crux. So the fundamentals are really empowering leadership from the top, who show they care and who talk about it. It's a board that is interested, if you have a board in your organization, um, or your top managers really talking about this, taking it seriously, being interested in the health of your workforce.
0: Harsh but true. Fruit in the break room will not a difference make if we don't look at the bigger picture. As we've always said, great managers are one of the three cornerstones of an amazing workplace culture. A bad manager, as Lord Bethel explains, is worse than no manager.
2: And good leaders deliver that. And bad leaders are destructive and leave a bad taste in the mouth and a feeling that, uh, one wants to kind of not do another meeting like that. And, um, that used to be okay in the old days where you just wrote lists and ticked off when people had done their tasks, but very rarely these days is, does that actually lead to you know, the completion of, of, of the objective.
0: And of course, no conversation about culture would be complete without the C word. Not that C word,
2: COVID. You know, we all know a lot of people at the moment who have been through the financial crisis, who've been through COVID, who've been through life's uh, you know attritional traumas, who just feel a bit overwhelmed, and and it just makes sense for thoughtful employers who who want to create the best environment for people to work in and to hold on to their workers for as long uh, as as, is reasonable, to have a think about how they, how they can support them and to get, and, and therefore to get more out of them for their shareholders and fulfill their fiduciary duties.
1: So you'd think probably that the more complex the organization, the better the leaders will be. Well, some of them, one of the most complex organizations in the UK is the government, and it's no different there. Here's Lord Bethel to explain his experience.
2: I've just done two years in pandemic government. I can tell you, not all the meetings were high-fiving and body bumps. You know, they were there were some there were some really tough moments. But the good managers somehow managed to deliver the message but leave a, a sense of positivity on the table. That people leave the room, the zoom, thinking that, you know, that the world's gonna be all right. And um you need that in a collaborative environment you know the, the world is much more complicated we don't have single roles we don't we don't perform tasks in a sort of by sequence basis we, in order to get anything done in the modern world you have to work in teams and everyone has to trust each other and have quite a lot of non-verbal communication and and belief in the in the in the ability of others to deliver
0: get political but i think even you know the quite a very simple example of of the disruption that inconsistent leadership can have maybe look at the uk in the past four years and the, how many prime ministers have we had now three
1: nine 94 prime ministers in three <laughs> 184.
0: years 184
1: <laughs> one thing that lord bethel does say though it is down to the leaders to create great places and to fix this health gap wherever we possibly can.
2: Now, being a supportive employer during such times is something that I think most employers would regard as the traditional role of a thoughtful, kind and pragmatic employer who's trying to retain a skilled and cohesive workforce. But I think that there's also an additional element that's really become um, important in people's minds, and that is creating a a workplace that uh, endeavors to support strong values and in which um, celebrates um, uh, the kind of environment that people can really thrive in. What what we've become more aware of is that um, the pressures on people uh, from their social interactions with each other can become much more debilitating and much more um, a barrier to, to peak performance. And perhaps we had once given appreciation for if you have an environment where people are uh, not respectful of each other uh, where values of equality uh, are not upheld where uh, personal behaviors can be co- 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 coercive or uh, dominating uh, then that can create a culture and an environment which leaves people um feel quite traumatized and hurt
1: and feeling like they can't get through uh, the working week uh, in the way that they could. Now, going back to this gender health gap, the menopause and perimenopause affects women generally sort of around the age of 50, although I'm pretty sure, Leanne, perimenopause can start at like 38, 38, early
0: onset perimenopause, typically around
1: 43. There we go. So we're talking about a good potentially 15 years of discomfort for some women. And these are often our most experienced employees. They have the skills and the potential to be able to mentor younger people. If they're not at their best, if we're not catering to them as business owners, as leaders, if we're not doing all we possibly can to make their lives better, it just doesn't bode well for the organization. Traditionally, this would be a relatively difficult, going back maybe 30 years, relatively difficult conversation, I think, to bring up at work. But... These days, Cathy and Chantelle, and everyone is saying that it needs to be more in the conversation. So I asked Cathy, all right, we have, to, we have to do this. How do us leaders broach the subject? And particularly in the context, if you're a male leader.
5: Well, menopause is private and there will certainly be some people who don't want to talk about it. And that's fine. And that's where it differs from some other health issues. But actually, if you're experiencing these symptoms and they're really impacting you, Then it means that you're taking time off work, or maybe you're coming to work but not doing your job as effectively as you'd like to. It could mean that you're not going for that promotion. And we know that one in 10 women actually leave work because of their menopause. And part of that can be addressed because these people are senior women, they've been long established workers, they're good people to keep in the business. So it's very definitely a business issue as well as a personal one. So, first of all, get the conversation going. That means having things like menopause cafes or champions in the workplace to make sure it's an easy conversation. That's the first step. I think the second step is to make sure that your leaders are trained. So they need to know what menopause is, how it happens, what happens, the way that people might be affected in the workplace. And that might mean a programme of education, perhaps incorporating it into your uh, mandatory training, for example. Every aspect of your mandatory training will have a menopause aspect to it if you think about it. And then I think finally, particularly for me as a clinician, it's about coming alongside and offering people personalised support. So it's great to talk about it. It's great to train people, but actually people want one-on-one help and that's what we do at Pepi.
0: If you do want to hear more about menopause, perimenopause, and what you can do as a leader to support the women in your business, do go back to our previous episode on Women's Health, a guide for male leaders. I will leave a link in the show notes. But of course, it's not just perimenopause or the menopause that affects women differently. Lord Bethel has a heartbreaking story about his mother who suffered from postnatal depression.
2: Uh, I have a a lens for this because my mother... um was really the victim of of this syndrome in a big way. Uh, She had postnatal depression, which was completely brushed off um, as a condition um, when she was a young woman. Uh, And and she was just considered to be insane. She was given electroshock treatment, which is an incredibly brutal treatment for something that required a completely different approach. Um, Her marriage broke down. She fell into addiction with drugs and alcohol for which she was very heavily derided and sort of basically abandoned by, by the family and her, and her GP ended up having an affair with her, um, and was going to leave his wife, but guess what? Never did. So she was literally abused by the medical professionals who were meant to be, uh, looking after her. Um, and she, uh, died in the bath slipped under the water in a, in a, in a drink and drug haze um when she was 35 i was uh, 10 years old um basically uh she was a victim of being a woman
0: as business owners and leaders we have an obligation to not only make our workplaces a better place but wherever possible the world a better place so how can we create a healthier future for everyone
1: so let's hear from lord bethel first
2: we we should be recognizing that employees are not disposable they're they're not easy to replace and there isn't an endless supply of them and therefore uh, if if their health both mental and physical is going to be one of the reasons why they drop out of the workforce and leave your, your country your company then for goodness sake
1: have a think about
2: what you can do to support them
1: so when i interviewed lord bethel i kind of challenged him a little bit on this i was like you know as business owner, our budgets are stretched, inflation, fuel costs, everything's going up. It's a tough, tough time to be in business. I kind of said in a very polite way, what the hell do you know about running a business? you he's already said that he's a, a self-confessed confessed public schoolboy who's got a hereditary peer. Seems very far from us, actually, at the coalface. Turns out, Lord Bethel knows quite a lot about running a business.
2: And, and I, I used to run an SME. I, I, uh, I run three or four of them. Uh, and most recently I, I built up a consultancy uh and, and sold it before I went into the House of Lords. Um and I yeah, all right. I used to despair, I used to have my head in my hands. Um sometimes at you know the sheer cost of of all the additional benefits and support and investment that was required of, of, of my people. The only thing that I also found though was was that people leaving my business. Was even more expensive i mean the, the biggest cost was uh you know a really valued employee who had uh, a big impact on on the work uh who was loved by colleagues and clients when they left and you had to recruit someone else and bring them in oh my goodness that cost a lot of money and um i used to weigh it up in my own mind uh, as just being uh a diff, uh, just creating the resilience of my own business how do i it was a people business uh and uh, if they weren't happy then the business didn't
1: didn't work and it was quite refreshing to hear him say that the solution isn't always just to throw money at the problem
2: it, it's more difficult than it used to be you used to be able to i think you know be of sort of old fashioned brash leading from the front type and people were prepared to jog along with that but now uh, I think you have to be a lot more thoughtful, and it's not just money. It's not just extra maternity leave and 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 free yoga. It is the it is the way in which people are managed. It's create. I think it comes back to basic good management. That you're giving people an overall mission, a role within that mission, uh, the tools to be able to complete the task, uh, and 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 the interactions necessary to make them feel uh, like they are working in collaboration with management and are valued and, 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 and making a, a contribution to life. So I think most of it is about good management rather than opening the checkbook and, and just spraying cash around.
0: Unsurprisingly, Dame Carroll takes a very sensible approach to all of this. She suggests that we start preparing the current generation for the workplace.
4: But I think we've got to start to think of health as an asset from when we're very young. A a capital, you know, we talk about human capital, we talk about knowledge as a capital. So, to start to think about how do we build that human capital, that resilience, so that we can do far more in the community, um, I would be old fashioned enough to think I'd have a nurse in every school. I'd start to go back to some of the things that hopefully would stop the NHS being so loaded. And I think we put up with a lot and we just thought that somehow if you had a mental health problem, you were a weak person and we've had to change that. It is not. Mental health is just as important as physical health.
0: Let's go back to Cathy Abernathy, who's one of the UK's leading menopause experts. She says it's okay if leaders don't know exactly what to do, but instead of guessing, try asking.
5: Um, it is an issue that affects everybody. I mean, everybody's got either a partner or a sister or a work colleague, maybe a daughter who is going to go through menopause one day. So we have to see this as being something which just affects the whole workplace. And if we can get that conversation so, so to such a degree that actually everyone's open and talking about it, It becomes much easier for all genders to talk about it. So it doesn't become just a male or a female issue. If somebody, if a company was to put out a survey, for example, and ask their people what they want in a workplace in relation to menopause, you'd get some surprising answers. Um, The most obvious is access to things like fans on desk, air conditioning. Hybrid working has been really good for some people going through the menopause. They can sit in their own home at whatever temperature they want to be. But for others, it's very isolating and they want the support of their colleagues. So it is coming and asking the individuals what they want.
0: There has been a flurry of platforms and apps released recently under the broad term EAP. EAP is an employee assistant program and can help with anything from financial planning to healthcare. Lord Bethel is very supportive of this approach.
2: Um, There's definitely a role for uh, uh, digital mental health. Support of the kind that many companies are now uh, investing in. And many companies, uh, particularly white collar companies, who are trying to find ways in which to support their employees are using the latest uh, apps and algorithms to uh, give their employees another way of um, thinking through their issues, of finding forms of mindfulness, of um, bringing discipline to their physical uh, regime and programs, um, talking through their, uh, their issues and also um, at times uh, asking for help. Um, and um, uh, the science on that is developing, uh, but I am hopeful that some of those will provide an interesting uh, layer of support.
0: I am quickly interrupting this phenomenal podcast to recommend another phenomenal podcast. Anyway, listen to Nudge wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Chantelle is one of the founders of Serona Health, which is exactly one of these apps which are designed to help with health. She explains that she kind of sees this platform as essential for organisations.
3: So this is kind of where I guess tools like kind of Serona come in come into play. So this is kind of how we support people. Um, we discreetly. Uh, support people going through conditions such as endometriosis, helping them out with uh, their treatment pathway, diagnosis pathways, etc. Um, and uh, yeah, our tool is very much applicable for all workplaces. We support all organisations, big and small. Um, and yeah, I think it's super important to uh, support your 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 workforces. What we see is a lot of these people going through these chronic conditions actually end up leaving the workforce and. The cost to replace them is actually quite significant. So supporting your workforce whilst they're, you know, working is 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 the priority
1: here. Kathy Abernathy from Pepi Health totally agrees. So Pepe is there to provide one-to-one health advice to employees, which is paid for by the employer, but totally confidential. And the employer knows nothing about what goes on in these discussions.
5: So you access Pepe through your mobile phone, so it's a a digital app, and it's entirely confidential. So as an employer, you sign up to Pepe, but then when your people sign up with Pepe, your um, employer doesn't know that you signed up. They know a certain number of people have, but it's entirely confidential. So when you're talking to me and my team of practitioners, you're talking to us privately about your health issues, things that are important to you, and it's all paid for by your employer. In the NHS, I was able to support a handful of people in a clinic a day. What I love about the vision of Pepe is that I can support thousands of people through the content that we have, the events that we have and the one-to-ones with my nurse practitioners. And so it's such a broad service that can just meet so many more. And that for me, with my menopause hat on, is what I really would like to do.
0: Although Lord Bethel grew up with a very different background to most of us, as we've heard, he does have a lot of experience in industry and consulting, and he genuinely believes that training managers and leaders is key.
2: Listen, I'm a hereditary peer and a public school boy. You know, I was brought up to sort of, you know, in a sort of Victorian, uh, uh, with Victorian values, uh, which were extremely old fashioned and just not relevant in the modern digital age. And I went on to work in tech companies and, and in uh, consulting and service companies, which have got a completely different approach. So over the years, I've had uh, several rounds of training on how to learn to work much more collaboratively, much more thoughtfully and in a much more positive way. And I think that's that's a really good thing.
0: Lord Bethel and his literal peers, that's a UK joke. They had some mandatory training recently in the House of Lords. Some of his peers did not take to it well. Lord Bethel, on the other hand, really got something out of it.
2: Even in the House of Lords, we had done training uh, on interacting with colleagues. um, And uh, it hit the headlines when some peers didn't want to do it. But I, for one, found it incredibly helpful. um, Because although I regard myself as a reasonable person, uh, we all have to accept that we don't have monopoly on, on wisdom and having someone come in and just giving you a bit of a uh, update on changing uh work environment which i think is uh, incredibly helpful i think the two areas that we've all had to adjust a bit on is um, the old fashioned idea of leadership put a great emphasis on directional alpha type behaviors where uh where the senior hierarchy imposed strong strong uh strong direction on junior members and and led from the front in a sort of quasi-military kind of way and uh we've learned that that doesn't get the best out of people and actually it can lead to people feeling quite hurt and traumatized if their views are overridden and trampled on so i think we've all had to learn to be a little bit more uh consensual and to use our ears as much as our mouths Uh, when we're trying to lead groups of people.
1: Now, Dame Carroll totally agrees, but she feels that education needs to happen before we even hit the workplace.
4: I've seen my own generation, um, my cousins particularly, die before me due to poor health, due, I think, to poverty, poor education, and a lack of, of, of resources. So I was the lucky one, but it doesn't make it okay for the rest.
1: So one of the questions we always ask anyone on a panel is, what would it look like if we got this right? Lord Bethel feels the employer has a very, very important part to play.
2: What I would like to think um, is that there would be a feeling of consideration and thoughtfulness and that that the employer would have the resources either through private insurance uh, or through... Some kind of referral mechanism that, if that if the person, the lady in, involved, did turn to the employer for help, they would know how to gui- guide them to the right place. Uh, and I think that that would be a, a, a valuable thing. If it had been my mother um, and she had gone to her employer, I would hope the employer would at least have the um, expertise and the and the network to be able to walk her over to to someone who could help.
1: Kathy, our menopause expert, has got a very specific example of when she realised that Pepe Health were doing great things.
5: It's the one, the lady who had brain fog, memory issues. She was struggling at work. Her manager directed her to Pepe. She sat with us, chatting to our practitioners. And then eventually, after a few months of intense support, she said to me, you know, my daughter said to me last night, I've got my mum back. That's what really touches me.
1: So should the government be doing more? Well, let's go and ask someone. Who's in the government? Here's Lord Bethel.
2: The government has a, has a important leadership role, uh, partly to um, indicate what the new norms are and partly to create a level playing field to reduce competitive advantage around um, sort, of n- not non- al- non- sort of non-alignment. Uh, what I mean by that is on things like maternity leave, paternity leave, bereavement leave, uh, time out for um, uh, uh, what used to be called um, duvet, duvet days for, for people who are feeling a bit overwhelmed. That that the kind of support that individuals need in you know very highly pressured modern digital um, workplaces um, is something where I think the government can provide uh, a degree of regulatory guidance and tramlines.
1: I kind of feel sorry sometimes for people in the government because it feels like no matter what they do, there's one half of the country saying that's a great idea, one half of the country saying it's a really bad idea. I think that we need to have this sort of like even approach to it. Lord Bethel says, yes, we don't want to be wrapping people up in red tape, but we still do want to be providing some kind of guideline.
2: I think we're all conscious of not drowning employers and, and entrepreneurs in red tape and and onerous costs that create a lack of competitive, com- competitivity uh, on the world, in the world markets. On the other hand, resilient workforces are, uh, essential to um, maintaining productivity uh, and competitiveness. So I think I think that there is an area there where um, businesses and government can work together.
0: For those that say this is a generational thing, this is a snowflake thing, Lord Bethel has a rebuttal.
2: These all should be now management priorities. You wouldn't think, you know, 20 years ago, we didn't worry about cybersecurity. We didn't worry about um, data privacy. And now they are all absolutely fundamental parts of most most businesses, and uh, it's high up on the C-suite responsibilities. <laughs> whether that C-suite is, you know, the, the the small business owner or or the big corporate, uh, and uh, I'm I'm arguing that health is now, whether you like it or not, on the list, and you need to, anyone running a business needs to be thinking about how they preserve the mental and physical health of their workforce
1: well it's been a bit of a bumper episode we had five main questions we wanted to ask we've asked the panel each one of those i think they've been answered pretty well uh what do you think lee
0: yeah i i think they've been answered pretty well i think what i would i would maybe wonder if there are some business leaders that are now kind of thinking oh man this is something else i need to think about I think it's more that these are probably things you're already thinking about because you have processes in place, you have your EAP in place. It's maybe just building your awareness of these inequities, perhaps that exist in your workforce or indeed the specific needs that, that the people in your business, depending on their demographics, are going to experience over the next few years. And I think women's health is a really easy place to start. But of course, there is. there are many different areas of, of health, of health gaps. Uh, we've not even delved in to a lot of them. So I think really it's just about being mindful, being aware. So that if somebody in your business does experience this type of challenge, it's not going to be completely novel or unexpected.
1: Isn't it nice as a business owner for someone to go, do you know what? You don't have to be all across this. You don't have to be like experts at it yet. But as long as you're thinking about it, as long as you're asking what pe- what your employees want and what support you can provide, you're probably about 70% of the way there.
0: Yeah, I agree. And of course, our guests offer some incredible resources that you can check out to learn more. If you would like to learn more about menopause and how you, as a leader, can be supporting your employees through this, go to Peppy Health or check out Cathy's links in the show notes.
1: If you, like us, believe that healthcare should be gender inclusive, not gender exclusive, then go to seronahealth.com, S Y R O N A, seronahealth.com, or check out Chantel's links in the show notes.
0: We'll also leave links to Dame Carol Black and Lord Bethel, including their pages where you can find all the different things they are currently working with in terms of health within the government. Uh, So yeah, go and check it out. I think if you're looking for a bit of thought leadership there and what's going to happen over the next few years, it's a good place to start.
1: I'll also leave a link to my favourite Ministry of the Sound album on Spotify. So thank you for putting that together, Lord Bethel. What is your favourite? On a popular music playing streaming app, I have a playlist for Ministry of Sound, which I've just called MOS. But uh, yeah, I'll leave a link to that. I had it. I had
0: a CD. It's one of my favourite CDs in uni. It was a Ministry of Sound funky house. Collection. That's the one
1: I, that's, that's mine. Oh uh, yeah? We had the same one. So thank you Lord Bethel for all of your... Thank you
0: for your service. Yeah, thank you for your service.
1: <laughs> right, we will see you next week for yet another episode. If you're on YouTube, do us a favour. Click the subscribe button. We've probably up to about 20 subscribers now.
0: Ring that bell.
1: <laughs> We're not doing that. We're not doing that. All right, so we'll see you next week. Bye for now. Bye.